How can your environment support your neurology, right? So if you are a person who's going to be overwhelmed by too much visual stimuli, then how can we make your environment meet your needs? Not that you're doing therapy necessarily, but that ingredient helps to keep you in a more homeostatic place. How is it possible for a parent of a child with autism to become the superhero their child needs now? I'm Len. And I'm Cass. When our son was diagnosed with moderate to severe autism, we went all in. We spent over a decade learning everything we could on how we could transform to help our son thrive. And guess what? He's doing it. This year, he ran for class president. Each week on this podcast, we will be sharing the secrets needed for you to become the superhero your child needs. If you want to learn how to tap into your innate superpowers to help your child thrive, visit AutismParentingSecrets.com. Hello and welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. We're thrilled that you're here and we're excited to cover a topic we really haven't covered yet on the podcast. To better support your child, taking control of your environment is extremely important. And we've talked in prior episodes about the importance of minimizing toxins, chemicals, pollutants, EMFs, but there's also huge opportunities to not only minimize harm, but to do things that really improve feelings of peace and joy and delight. And so that's the focus of this week's episode. The secret is that a healing home is sensory informed, and we're delighted to have two guests. We have Robbie Levy and Ingrid Smith from Sensor Rooms. And both Robbie and Ingrid have years and years, decades of experience as occupational therapists. And Sensor Rooms is their way of creating a design firm that specializes in sensory informed environments. So part of what they do is that they assess your child's responses and they create a sensory profile and they make sure that that profile is used to inform every decision of the design process. So I know that appeals to Cass and I, and uh, we know it's especially important for kids with sensory needs. So we're delighted to have Ingrid and Robbie here with us, and we are excited for them to share their insights on how you can create a space that is where you, your child, your entire family can thrive. So welcome, Ingrid and Robbie. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd like to add also that we are the only practice that we know of that also works with an interior designer. Our co-founder, Lee Flood-Smith, is an interior designer. So there are practices out there of occupational therapists that help design sensory spaces, sensory treatment rooms, and there are interior designers that may design sensory-friendly rooms, but we, as far as we've seen, are the only team that works together to develop a sensory informed space for children and adults. The reason that we decided to do that is that Ingrid and I have been occupational therapists for a very long time, me over 40 years and Ingrid over 35 years. And we've decided that besides the treatment that we do, we really wanted to take our knowledge base into another space, no pun intended. So we teamed up with a very good friend of ours who's an interior designer, and we wanted to create a company that would provide a service that was completely unique. As Ingrid said, there's people designing spaces, but a lot of the sensory spaces that are designed are more for therapy or you know a playroom that kind of looks like a therapy clinic. But we wanted to create spaces in bedrooms, kitchens, bathrooms, studies, and then when the pandemic hit, home spaces for homework and, you know, work at home spaces and not just spaces, offices. yeah, offices and not mm. just spaces that come, but looking at the sensory systems and our variability in the eight systems and how you need to have your space working with your particular neurology. So what do you need to upstart? What do you need to download? What do you need to work to be the most productive that you can be? 
And when I love, I love what you guys are doing and I love what you're sharing. And my whole goal always, especially as we started our journey and we do this also with the parents that we support is how do you set them up for success, right? So how do you set up the child for success? How do you set up the parent for success? And, you know, while a child probably might be seeing an OT, right? That's only for a small part of that, you know, it might be one or two or three sessions a week, but it's like incorporating sense, you know, being a sensory informed and having a sensory informed house or home or healing environment is so key because then you're basically leveraging what that child needs into their everyday environment. So it's almost like cradling them and meeting them where they are to support, really truly support their needs, which is so brilliant and so important for parents to kind of think about like, okay, yes, I'm doing these therapies and yes, we're doing X, Y, and Z, but like, oh my goodness, if I can now create this, you know, Len and I called it our healing bubble for our son, but it's like, how do I create this healing environment that is going to meet them where they are and support them every day? Right. And it's also for the times when, when we're not there, for when they need to focus more on their work or when they're having trouble going to sleep at night or having trouble waking up in the morning. What is it throughout their day that is giving them stress or they're having trouble dealing with that we can help them with by adjusting their environment? Yeah, which is amazing. Walk us through kind of like when you are working with a family to do this for a child, kind of like what does that, the initial assessment must be intense. Um, So what does that kind of look like? Okay. What we usually do is we have a, a meeting with the family and we go over a, we can do it online. We've done it online and, and virtually as well, because we're, you know, trying to do it all over the, all over the country. So we can do, and our, our designer also is great about, you know, getting measurements and that type of thing from them. We do a detailed questionnaire with the family and we try to get a sense of their sensory experiences. And we're trying to find out what is calming to the child, what their favorite things are, where they play, uh, what their specific sensitivities are. Every child has a different set of sensitivities what their favorite foods are, believe it or not, that can be something that will motivate them in, in certain ways or, or can be a, a part of a design element. And then, then also, what do we have to keep in mind? Do they, is, do they put non-food items in their mouth? That would take, you know, take into effect whether we're going to you know, have small items in there. What kind of safety concerns that they have? Is, there some, is that a big part of the design that they don't feel that the child is safe in their environment? And can we make that comfortable, just, you know, look, look designer friendly and also be safe for them. And our space is also for adults. So it's not just for kids. And we found during the pandemic that with everybody working at home, a lot of design issues came up, right? A lot of space issues, especially in urban areas where not everyone has a a separate dedicated space for working at home. Not everyone has a dedicated space for play time. And not everyone has a basement to make a whole sensory gym. So that really came up for us. And we developed a questionnaire, not only for children, but also for adults. Mm-hmm. And we tried to, what I think made us also unique was we tried to take the aesthetics of the family. And that's why we added an interior designer. So we're like, my house is contemporary someone else's house might be gothic or country or farmhouse. And so their space can be made sensory friendly, but also exist in their aesthetic. And that's unique, I think, for what's out there. We also did a a bedroom for a child who was going to be sharing a room with her older sister. So we had to make sure that the room appealed to her older sister as well. So whether one sister liked pink and the other one liked purple, We wanted to combine both elements so that both of them were pleased with the outcome of the space and that one was a little bit older than the other. So it wasn't all about little girl stuff. It was about, you know, tween things as well. So um, we had to make sure that that was appropriate for both of them, yet it still provided the sensory needs that the other one had. So, yeah, so we do this intensive questionnaire with them. And then, you know, we, then we have different levels of, of support that we would give the families. And then the, the first level is a, 
is this full consultation where um, Lee would Lee's our, our designer and she would do a um, like a floor plan and then give general recommendations of uh, you know the type of lighting, the type of uh, floor coverings, the type of wall coverings, general design of the room, whether it be where the workspace would be, where you know it all depends on what the room is, where the sleeping space would be, where play area, where mats for safety, you know, just different kinds of things, and all be interacting well with each other and working well within that room and still looking cohesive. And then the next level up would be that we would be providing them with the direct purchasing information. And then the next level up would be, we would do the work for them and, you know, provide all the work for them. So it it just goes up. So it's, it's, you know, for, you know, help if a family needs help and they have their own resources to do it versus just giving it all to us and we will take care of all of it. So it's it's for every income level and yeah. Well, and I think the, I remember when we were creating our healing bubble and yes, we went, we removed toxins, we removed all these things, but also kind of incorporating sensory needs into our living space. It's amazing what you can find that can give great sensory input in items. Like I remember one time I found like a a cocktail table that was also a rebounder. Like, so there's like amazing tools. So it's kind of like, I'm we sure. Have, we have lists upon lists of the <laughs> coolest things that we have found that we are like, oh my gosh, we are going to use this for a blah, blah, blah one day with, you know, fish tanks and, and scented stuff and, and cool furniture and like just all these great things that we, we have in our, in our wheelhouses that we are putting together, that we use to put together things. We have lots and lots of great ideas that we love to use to put together stuff. But I think also on the flip side, Americans tend to over-decorate. I mean, now it's a little bit better with this minimalistic look, but you know, you have a birthday party, you get a thousand gifts, you know, you don't have a place to put them. You put them all out. A lot of our kids are overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that mm-hmm. we have in our world. And it's not just the toys or the furniture or the books themselves, but it's what that does to your sensory systems. Mm-hmm. So in our design, we try to acknowledge all that information and know that you know some kids need these dedicated spaces that are actually low sensory and not high sensory and that everyone's different like not everyone needs to swing not everyone needs to jump you know that everyone's unique in their neurology and what is it about their neurology that we can incorporate aesthetically into our design Right. And also things like color can be so individualized. I remember there's a practitioner up close to where you guys are, Dr. Stephen Cowan. Yes, we know him very well. <laughs> He's one of our dear friends. We just interviewed him again the other day, but he has that amazing book, Fire Child's Water Child. And I remember when we moved into a house, I was like, all right, Dr. Cowan, what color? And, you know, and it's very specific. He's like, your daughter, as fiery as you want her her room to be. And for my son, it was like pale greens and blue. So it's kind of also working with the children to kind of really come up with, you know, what are their needs and kind of, you know, surrounding them in that environment. Maybe, you know, it might not be you know, a rebounder for one child, it might be like a teepee, but it's kind of working to support them as they need to be supported. Right. Mm -hmm. And also to know that your responses and your neurology, like they change, right? They change throughout the day. Sometimes they change moment to moment. So having an environment that's a little bit flexible as well, because sometimes you need you know, calming activities or a calming environment. And then there's other times, you know, you need a more upstarting situation. One of the things we found in doing this with bedrooms was that most bedrooms were overstimulating from a sensory point of view, especially in urban settings where you live in a smaller place um, where space is at a minimum and your bedroom is you know, set, functions as seven different things, right? But we had a lot of referrals for kids who were not either going to sleep easily 
or staying asleep easily. And, you know, when we took a look at their spaces from our point of view, because we have a perspective, right? This is what we do. This is what we specialize in. It was pretty clear pretty early on what some of those sensory situations were. And so we had to go in and we don't want to change an aesthetic. And obviously we have to take storage needs and space needs into consideration, but we had a really successful experience in a bedroom where we were able to make different kind of sort of like stations in a classroom, but we had sort of stations in the bedroom for different activities. And the report from the family was that this child really improved, which was the goal in falling asleep and staying asleep. So it was really wonderful. And, you know, when we start with these surveys, we do ask, what is the goal? And besides it being pretty or being handsome or something, you know, that way, there's usually a goal. I want my child to go to sleep more easily, or I want to have better focus when I'm working in my office, if I'm an adult, or my son needs to pay better attention while doing homework. So there's a goal separate from the design aspect of what they want. And that's what we're sort of trying to work with. And also when we're designing these rooms, I know we've talked a lot about the visual component, but we also have, you know, this huge tactile component and olfactory component and of course movement. And in, I mean, we're used to trying to incorporate all of the senses in there and it, different aside from the visual component of like color and, and light and that type of thing. We're also looking at having movement if the child requires some movement to go. So we may have water feature or uh, lava lamps or something like that along in, in there, which I think can be very soothing for people. Uh, we might have something scented either for them to hold or cuddle or something in the room, depending on what their needs are. Like we're not I'm not always big on the things that blow out scented air because I'm not, I don't really know how healthy that is. <laughs> As someone who spent 20 years in fragrance, over 20 years in fragrance, I would also be careful of scented objects that they're holding. Yeah. That's where I would personally go with a diffuser doing essential yeah. <laughs> versus other things because knowing we have sensitive individuals, sensitive children, sensitive mm-hmm. things. So that's where I'd make sure for parents who are, you know, listening, thinking about this, it's like, okay, also do your due diligence to make sure whatever yeah, you're Everybody has their different needs with that. Yes. Sure. Absolutely. Right. And that's, we, we take that all into consideration for sure. But we consider all of those things when we're working with the families and we're working with the, the children to um, consider every part of their um, thing. We also do some custom things as well. We have done custom blankets for people, just simple sensory blankets that are like block quilts where they have they're all slightly different textured, but still a cohesive design so that they have something to, to touch and stroke. And it actually works well for senior adults as well, you know, especially adults that are, have dementia or something along those lines. And, but it's great for kids trying to get them to sleep or to relax them and make them, make them in pillows as well. And we do the sequin boards for the, for the walls where we put them against the wall and they can rub their hands up and down. And that's great for any level because you can write on them. It's great for their shoulder strength. It's great for, it's a great tactile feeling. It's beautiful visually. We do that as well. Nice. So it's, it's a really, it's a great opportunity to get some custom art in there as well. So I love that you're embracing kind of all of the different senses, you know, for someone, because it's really that, you know, what you see, what you hear, what, you know, taste, as you said, in the kitchen kind of and thing. sound too. We incorporate sound, sound as well. Mm-hmm. The real exciting thing or the differentiating thing, I think, in so many areas, including this, is the personalization. Because you can pick up a book and read about some concepts, but to really take the right actions for what's right for yourself or right for your child, that personalization is the missing link. Cass and I see that when we're coaching parents because no two parents have the same needs and their children obviously have very unique needs. And even with food, which is kind of Cass's superpower, you know, trying to please a picky eater, it really, you can take some high level concepts and sure they may be useful, but it comes down to that specific individual. What are their preferences across all senses? 
and, you know, finding your way in to pleasing a picky eater that way. Right, Cass? Absolutely. But I also, to build Len on what you were saying too, and as it relates to this personalization, the aesthetics piece of it is often, you're kind of being that bridge for families that, you know, aesthetics may be important for, you know, a lot of parents. I know we were the crazy ones with gym mats all in our living room, but it's like knowing that you have that ability to make something aesthetically pleasing while creating a healing environment and that's meeting sensory needs is amazing. Well, it also doesn't have to be, I'm expanding my whole house to be a complete sensory environment for my child. But if I'm picking out a sofa, maybe I want to pick out something that's going to be a little bit more sensory friendly for my child. If I'm picking out a coffee table, maybe what would be the best for my child? What would be the the best paint colors? You know, something that maybe you can combine working on that's going to not send my child into the other direction, but that you can work cooperatively on, but doesn't have to, like you said, like you will put, throw the floor mats everywhere. Unfortunately, we have a ton of families that will not do that, <laughs> but then they may also not want to put everything in one room and contain the child in one room all the time. So they want to, you know, have the child be able to use all the spaces and be comfortable in all the spaces in the house. And I think the other thing that's really important about this is that we're not talking about therapy. We're talking about a therapeutic environment that's more about prevention. And well, not prevention per se, but just how can your environment support your neurology, right? So if you are a person who's going to be overwhelmed by too much visual stimuli, then how can we make your environment meet your needs. Not that you're doing therapy necessarily, but that ingredient helps to keep you in a more homeostatic place. So it's more about a little bit more about prevention than, you know, a lot of companies that we buy equipment from, you can hire them to build your therapy room in your house, right? And we could do that for you in a heartbeat because we we do that at work, right? We're building therapy rooms all the time. But this is more about your home overall. How does your home overall support the sensory needs, the neurological sensory needs of your bodies? And so that's really important to think about. It's not just about doing therapy. It's about being in a sort of preventive state. Well, and I think it's creating safety, right? So creating safety in that home environment. And yeah, it's not therapy. But for someone to feel safe, you know, safety is such a key piece of connection. So if you can feel safer in your home and if you have that ability, like I loved when you were saying those, you know, custom panels, right, with textures and things that people can kind of go and touch because for, especially for a child, let's say with autism, who may not have the words that they need, but for them to have a safe refuge in their own home, that's giving them the input that they need that just creates just such a more peaceful environment for that child, but then also for that family, knowing that they're supporting their child as they need to be supported. Right. And safety isn't just physical safety, right? Mm -hmm. So safety is, is an emotional safety, right? Mm -hmm. So they spend their time in the world as many people do being told what not to do versus just having it there. So you're, you're having it there to, you know, it's just, if let's say that the board, the sequin board is on the wall, it's just on the wall. You don't have to ask permission to touch it. And when you touch it, it's not like you're out in the world and someone's telling you, don't touch that, don't touch that. So the elements that we develop and we recommend are things that we want you to do, not things we don't want you to do. But really, even something like considering what's out there, you know, you think about classrooms, for example, they are covered with visual stimuli. Every picture that a child makes in preschool and kindergarten, everything is up on the wall and there's very little wall space. And we've gone into classrooms and made recommendations about having a minimum of one whole wall without anything on it. So when the child gets overwhelmed visually, they have a place to focus. 
They don't have to leave the classroom to get regulated. They can stay regulated there because you're not going to convince a preschool teacher to have four bare walls. It's just not going to happen. But maybe one bare wall or half of a bare wall. And these are the kinds of things that as OTs with our sensory background that we try to consider. So it's like making your environment meet the needs of who's there. Um, We did that with our waiting room at Dynamic Kids. When we redesigned everything, we made a, quote, sensory-friendly waiting room. And (laughs) it was really funny because we decided we had very few pictures on the wall. Mm -hmm. And they were all of kids doing things in the gym, (laughs) let's say, or at the table. We took them them all down. Mm-hmm. And the administrators in our practice said, when we're touring parents, no one's ever going to want to come here. They're going to think it's ugly. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to give you the words to say to them about what that means. It's to help your child be as regulated as possible to walk into therapy so they can benefit the most from this therapy. And they're like, no, 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 no one's ever going to come to our practice. No one's ever going to come. And lo and behold, with the script, everyone was so impressed that we took the time to redesign our waiting room to make it more sensory friendly and to keep kids regulated that we ended up getting more, you know, clients coming, not less, which is what, you know, their initial response is because in our world, everybody likes to over decorate the walls. It's just a very common thing. So, you know, simple things like that, where you're taking these kinds of things into consideration to help your client, which could be an adult, you know, stay as regulated as possible and safe. And a lot of those measures aren't so obvious, I think, to most people, right? In terms of, I mean, our walls are pretty filled, fairly filled. And I personally feel the difference when I'm seeing a more of a blank wall instead of the clutter, but it kind of cuts against, you know, ever since growing up and you got on the refrigerator, you had to put fill the refrigerator with magnets and all kinds of stuff. Uh, no, I, I totally see the benefit. It's hard to part with things, but it's important yeah. for your eyes to rest. It's important for a place for your eyes to rest. And I, I definitely see that in my own life. And yeah, it's important for everyone. And I think that's true for all, all things, right? So it might be a, a quiet space, right? So from a hearing perspective, I know olfactively you can, you know, become a nosmic to certain sense. So kind of being able to have breaks from these things, you know, is so important. So I love that you're really incorporating all of these senses as you design the spaces for your clients. And I think it's really good information for people to really step back and look at their world through a different lens to kind of realize like, hey, you know what, my child might be more reactive here. You know, and so it's like, is there something that could be causing overload in this space that I've never considered before? Because I think, you know, they'll they'll get used to it or this is just how it is, does not help set our kids up for success. One of the things we did recently was we sort of found a space for a child. It was as you probably know, and probably a lot of our parents know that finding like a little cozy womb space for a child is can be really comforting for them to having a little quiet space for them to go. Like you talked about having the tent or, you know, I've had situations where I've pulled the sofa away from the wall to have them go behind the sofa. Usually there's a plug there, so you have to move that out of the way, but, you know, just a place for them to go where they can be, you know, have quiet time. And in one, one household, they had the type of house where there was a, um, like an Eve and there was a, um, like a closet under the eaves of the house. And they had, you know, just storage and stuff in there. And we, and it was, it was sheetrocked in. So we pulled everything out. We laid it with blankets and we put a low lamp in there. And we put a couple of books and some stuffed animals and some pillows. And oh my gosh, it was her favorite place to go because it's, again, it's not a punishment space. It's not, you know, a go to your closet (laughs) space, but it's a great wind down place before bed. It's a great space when you, it's a rainy day and you need to cozy up somewhere. It's a great place to play with your dolls or to read a book. And it was absolutely wonderful to have this little spot at the, and that we were so lucky to have found that. And it, they can be found in, in houses, you know, if we just 
sort of know where to look and and they can be built in houses. So I love that. It's creating. So what came to mind was creating calm amidst chaos. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that idea of like, you know, at least in schools, you'll often hear that the sensory room, whatever that even means in a school is a place where someone goes when they're being, we don't use the word punish, but when they are not behaving the way someone wants, like, oh, send them there. Or we look at sensory more preventatively, like you should use these spaces first so you don't get dysregulated, so that you stay in a homeostatic place as much as you're capable of, so that it's used therapeutically, obviously, when you're having therapy, But it's also meant, the environment is meant to, I know Carol Kranowitz uses the word sensory diet. We use more the term sensory lifestyle. So we like to say, what's your overall seven day a week picture going to look like to keep you in that place as much as possible? So instead of giving someone the sensory diets that we used to give, so you do this three times a day for 15 minutes. Yes, you can do that. And yes, you can have really great OT with a sensory specialist. But what if your environment just included these elements as part of your living? So it's part of your lifestyle. So it's not like, okay, we're going to stop what we're doing, whether it's a lesson at school or a game we're playing at home, we're going to just stop in the middle because it's three o'clock and it's time to do our sensory diet. We found that that was one, not all that effective. (laughs) Uh, Two, most people didn't carry through with it. And three, it's more than that. We need to have that environment support you throughout the week and give you more of what you need. So that's a little bit of, of the history, the genesis of like where this all came from, because parents a lot of times ask us for what we sometimes think of as quick fixes, right? And we, we know as parents and therapists that that doesn't usually work, right? There are emergency things that you can do, but if you give it more throughout the whole week, and have it be more part of your lifestyle, I think it's more effective. The idea that I love too is the whole idea of designing the environment with intention, right? To support whoever, the, it could be the parents, it could be the child, it can just be the whole family. But I also think when you were talking about schools and how the school environment has so much stuff going on, often to have our have the kids or our kids be feel really good when they get home too because if you're you've you've kind of held your crap together all day in the school environment like to have that ability to come to a place that's really supportive can truly help that transition home be so much more successful um, mm-hmm. for the rest of that day yeah how many times have we heard from parents like oh they do so well in school and then they're just a mess when they come home I was like, and I tell them, look, it is the most they can do to hold it together when they are in school all day. It's the best and the most they can do. They have to let go when they're home. And yeah, this gives them some more outlets and, you know, that so they hopefully don't get onto that next stage where they're really letting it all out. <laughs> Their needs are getting met, which is so mm-hmm. beautiful. Right. And that can fuel them right? Fuel them for the next day to be able to go back and do it all over again. And a lot of times you'll hear less trained professionals saying something about the home environment, you know, not being what it needs to be or not supporting the families because it's different. I mean, Ingrid and I think look at it very differently where it's that's great. You know, they feel so safe there that after holding it together at school, they're able to, you know, let their hair down. So now how can we support them in this higher dysregulated state now that they're home so that they can refuel and get it all back together so they can have a good night's sleep 
and a good, you know, dinner and a good breakfast. And if they do homework, do their homework and be a sibling and be a child and take care of a dog or whatever it is that they do at home and then refuel and go back and do it all over again on Wednesday. And I think it's important to understand that kids are different in different environments. That doesn't necessarily mean that the adults in their environment are not supporting them. But, you know, there's situations like going to a birthday party, for example, higher stress situation. We have to have more supports. The end of the day, you have to have more supports. So I think your environment becomes even more important, you know, for those kinds of of activities and times of the day. And to figure out what's going to be helpful comes down to the superpower of curiosity, right? To really not maybe you can have an idea, but to go into really witness and, and watch your child and with that curiosity to to really see what is it that they are doing? How are they taking care of themselves and what needs do they have that, you know, the environment can be more supportive with? So it really is, I mean, the kids will show us what they need if we're really watching carefully, but I'm also mindful that kind of like with food where kids also kind of intuitively know what's you know, what they need from a nourishment perspective, but at the same time, they also crave a lot of the stuff that doesn't help. So do you run into that situation where let's say a child is ramped up and maybe a more distraction-free, less cluttered environment would be useful, but they also are really good at creating a lot of clutter, like creating the thing that actually may distract them the most. Do you run into (laughs) things like that? Yeah, we have a lot of clients like that. <laughs> I say uh, that they can wreck a room really fast. Yes, we have that. Well, you know, it also depends too on how, what are the opportunities they are having to get to all those things to do it? And are they doing it with communication or are they doing it without communication? If they're doing it with communication and they are engaging and they are playing while they're doing it, that's not so bad. If they are just pulling things down and not participating in the activity, then we have to change how the activities are presented. And by doing that, you may have to change how and where the activities are located. And then that requires, you know, requesting and maybe having them available one or two at a time so that they can ask for them or look for them or or request them or, you know, bring the card out for them, you know, whatever it is their communication system is. And then it makes it a little bit easier to manage their environment that way. But if they're taking out, you know, say, okay, I'm going to take out the trains and then the cars are going to ride with the trains and then, oh, wait, wait, the people want to come too. And, and then the blocks are going to come too. You know, that's a great play scheme. I love that. And yeah, it's going to make a huge mess, but then we clean it up an hour before bedtime and then, and then it's good. You know, that's that I'm great with. I think that that's wonderful. I can make a huge mess. Robbie can attest to that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can make a huge mess. Or if you're doing a great arts and crafts project and you got it spread all over the table and they are up to their elbows in mess, love it, love it, love it. But if they're just throwing things and not making anything productive, then we need to slow it down and take it one step at a time. And I think that happens in the kitchen too. Like how many families have ever thought to lower the lights in the at the dining room table or the kitchen table for a child who's having difficulty? These are the kinds of things that, you know, we think about that a lot of people might not, or how many colors of food are on the plate. You know, it's not always about taste. It's not always about smell. You know, those are the go-to for feeding, just like teaching is auditory and visual. But, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. So if you have a child who is having a really rough time with regulation and you bring them to the table and they already have feeding issues, it's probably not the smartest idea. So you might want to say, all right, we're going to back off and we're going to get more regulated and then we're going to come back to the table. Or maybe we need to add a support. You know, maybe we need something at the table that we can add to it that, you know, is really important to add to, you know, that experience. But I think even something so simple as lights, right? Like we think about when you go on a date, right? Mm -hmm. What makes a restaurant romantic versus non-romantic? Like you lower the lights. Mm -hmm. So lights are used in that respect, but I don't think they're used in terms of regulation. So can we use these different things in our environment to really work on 
everything that we do. The same thing with the bathroom. You know, we have a lot of kids that have problems with ADLs, activities of daily living. So they don't like to get their, you know, they don't like that whole routine in the morning, washing their face. We have a lot of tactily defensive kids in our midst. And so they don't like to wash their face. They don't like to get their hair cut. They don't like to brush their hair, get their nails trimmed, um, all those kinds of things. So what can we do in that environment to change it? You know, what does the bathroom look like? Is there something different that we can do? It's not always about that activity. Sometimes it's about the whole environment. So what we try to bring is a different perspective of the environment to every activity, you know, beyond what it is. And it's not always easy. (laughs) And our clients are not always, you know, they're open once we mention it, but they're not aware. You know, some of this is like a learning process. And they may take the consultation and then interpret it their own way and then do something similar, but not quite the same because they, they have their own ideas of how to do it. And that's, and that's okay too. But I think that the the fact that they have it and that we took everything about their child into account and, you know, and kept the conversation open about them is the most important thing as much, you know, and did as much as we could, as much as we can for that situation. So, and it's, it's been a really fulfilling job to do. We really enjoy doing it. That's awesome. There's just so many factors to be aware of that could influence the environment. And I know speaking for myself, Kaz, I'm guessing you'd agree. We as parents were, were in the middle of it all. We had huge blind spots. Like we're just, you're just not looking at it from that perspective, which is why a third party, somebody who's independent observing what's going on, what's the daily interaction like, what is each room presenting to the child is something that's really hard to have that kind of awareness when you're in the middle of it. So, um, so having mm-hmm. oh, sure. independent perspective is incredibly useful because I, I saw a lot of what you're describing as a huge blind spot that took us years to figure out. Like, I didn't know lighting was that important. Now, every other episode, we talk about lighting and how important it is. <laughs> so uh, it is a blind spot. And once you become aware of it, yeah, it's incredible mm-hmm. how many things you can, actions you can take to just not maybe not necessarily expensive, maybe really simple and quick. Maybe there are some quick fixes in there, but it really uh, just having that right perspective is uh, it's hard when you're in the middle of it. Right. And that's the other thing about prevention is that, and this can be adults too, where it's not only children that we work with, but you don't want to wait till the point of no return to try to fix something. And that's with anyone. Right. And, you know, if, if, you're working on your own work in your space and you're stuck, you know, what is it that you do? Because people do their own sensory things without knowing, you know, whether it's chewing gum or, you know, drinking a lot from a straw, all those kinds of things are your sensory ways to either calm yourself or to upstart yourself. And we do a lot of those things. And you see since the pandemic, more and more adults doing these kinds of things because they need to stay regulated because they missed all that sensory input for all those years. And you see an uptick in all that. And I think that we as adults do it. What maybe differentiates an adult from a child is sometimes, not always, (laughs) we know when to stop. Maybe, maybe not, you know, mm-hmm. right? So we can put the the brakes on, you know, that's part of our kids' journey is to, you know, learn when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate, where to do what, you know, there's places for things. And I think that we have tried to think of all those kinds of things in our design. Like we even started doing bathrooms <laughs> because Important during room. the pandemic, <laughs> bathrooms became sanctuaries for some people. It was like the only place they could go. <laughs> and yes. And yes, right? especially as a mom, as you know, a child, you know, with, you know, special needs, like your bathroom time, like even if it's a two minutes by yourself, right. have a sanctuary there is amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. So we learned a lot about bathrooms during COVID and we, you know, we weren't really thinking that our services would be needed there so much, <laughs> but, you know, 
yeah, where can you go? It's like a big closet. It's like when we did the closet for this child in the eaves, it's like, where can you go to have that more embracing quiet time that can reset you? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe you meditate in the bathroom. Maybe you do something with mindfulness. Maybe you, I don't know, it depends how big your bathroom is. You Mm -hmm. could do yoga in your bathroom. I mean, there's all sorts of things, but a lot of people, that's their only place to go to sort of like get away. And there's so many books about, you know, parents trying to escape into the bathroom, right? That was one of my kids' favorite books about mm-hmm. they follow you in and then, you know, do you leave them there and <laughs> go somewhere else, right? Bathrooms and closets are often places where Len and I will support parents on their calls because those are the places that they can kind of get away from their own life. Right. Right. You know, and it's amazing how many calls we've done from closets. That's amazing. (laughs) And then you develop a superhero when they pop out, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yep. Or they measure it for like, you know, a sauna. Like like, it truly becomes an oasis. Yes. Well, self-care. So, I mean, I think the one thing about the pandemic that we you know, besides learning so much about our homes and how important it is for our well-being, you know, it really, it really showed us how we want to stay in the moment in our homes. And if we're going to work there, we're going to be there more. We want to have that home be that place for us. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of changes in my own home, you know, during doing COVID. Some mine too. Yeah. And Ingrid's mm-hmm. doing one too. And I think a lot of people were doing it anyway. So mm-hmm. And we also help with that too, with designing either home offices or home workspaces, yoga spaces. But, you know, people right now are really wanting to help their children the most. And that ends up being, you know, the the highest priority for them. Especially with our listeners. That's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we all want to do what's best with our children for sure. Right. But parents also need to also that self-care piece for parents is key. How a parent shows up is so important. Even if it's a little corner, it's important to, to have. So we actually have questionnaires for adults as well. And we also have one for uh, day treatment centers, day centers. So if anybody has uh, adults that have special needs that are, are in the day centers, we, we also do have some things for that as well. We're work, we've worked on several of them uh, for like rec rooms and um, treatment rooms in, the, in there as well. So that's... Uh, because very often those get left behind. They, 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 uh, you know, as they move on into adulthood, some of these rooms that they're in just kind of become catch-all rooms, and and nobody's really looking at the design of those spaces for the adults there. Sure. Stepping back and just thinking, okay, granted, every child, every family is unique, and what you might suggest, you know, is going to be different for everyone. But if, especially if you're thinking about kids on the spectrum, is there any particular one? suggestion that you seem to always be giving because it seems to always be applicable. So something like, let's say the lighting in the kitchen, which I think is dynamite, because that is really important. We spend a lot of time in the kitchen, but is there anything that jumps top of mind of something that maybe our listeners are more than likely kind of having take place in their home that they could do something about quickly? Yeah, I think having having that quiet space, I find is the thing that I recommend to parents the most, no matter how you can get it. I've mm-hmm. done a, p- a blanket over a piano bench or over a dining room table. Um, and I said, I've done a sofa pulled away from the wall. I've done, you know, a closet, a tent, a, most often the pop-up tents where it's not just a place that they're crawling in and out of and screaming and carrying on, but just a, a quiet place where they can go. It doesn't have to be in the middle of everything. Maybe a quiet place in the house, a quiet place in the room. The, having the pillows and blankets are important for them to get a lot of proprioceptive, deep pressure input, I think is is super important for them. Also having them help with housework as much as they can for also for getting that deep pressure input. It's best, you know, they do it most often when they're younger, because as they get older, they start to get that it's, you know, that it's housework, but as much as they could do with pulling the sheets off the bed, washing the car, carrying stuff up and down stairs, pushing laundry baskets, anything that gives them that heavy work and that input to the joints is super important for them to do at home. And then what we talked about trying to keep things off of the walls and keeping places for their eyes to rest, I think is very important as well. 
Right. Do you have any others? Yeah, just the over-decorating, mm-hmm. I think, is one that people forget about. And also remembering the one big takeaway I would like to say would be your whole house matters, not just your treatment area or your play area. So yes, it's nice to have that space to go to, but also the input that you get from your whole house, especially on the weekends when you're not in school or it does build up in you. So, you know, you want to have it match you or match your child as much as possible and their needs and consider that more from a prevention, you know, point of view or an ingredient point of view for your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Excellent suggestions. I know we're going to run with some of those as well uh, for sure tonight. We also, have, we also have some suggestions on our Instagram page. I was going to say, please tell people if they want to find out more about you both, Sense of Rooms, where should they go? Okay. Everything is Sensor Rooms. Our Instagram page is Sensor Rooms as at Sensor Rooms. Um, you can reach us at sensorrooms at gmail.com. And we also, our, our Facebook page is Sensor Rooms also. And let's see what else is there. And we'll have linked to your website in the show notes. Yes, thank you. Yeah, our website is Sensor Rooms. And that's where we have the most information directly about us is on, is on our website. And um, they've reached us directly on, on our on our, on our, we were lucky when we went to make all our names, they were all available. So yeah, we made up the name ourselves. Yeah. So. <laughs> Fantastic. It works. Yeah, it works. And I know you're, you're New York who we are. <laughs> you're New York city based, but otherwise you do do the virtual type consults. We're so New York based. Yes, we absolutely right. do. We've done, we've done some in different parts of the country already. Yes. And with COVID we had to do them mm-hmm. virtually. So yeah. we got really good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, Hey, thank you both so much for sharing your insights. It's an important topic and not one that gets as much attention. So we're delighted that you you came by today to share uh, your perspectives. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for having us. It was lovely to meet you both. Thank you so much for joining. This was great. Want to learn how to avoid the 33 mistakes most autism parents make? Get your free training today. Visit autismparentingsecrets.com slash unstoppable.